investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 25 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. So I'm quite excited today. I mentioned last year that um, this year we would be looking to try and have a few more guests involved with the podcast. So I've got my first guest for the year, um, Jordan Telfer, who's a long-time colleague and a good friend of mine. Jordan's got a long history with Wakeland Property Advisory, having com- commenced work with us uh, or with the company with Richard, Monique and Paul back in uh, early 2000. Um, and having a bit of a change in 2006 and, and going into uh, valuations for eight years or so, and then coming back to us in 2014. So many of you who are actually Wakeland Property Advisory clients um, will probably know Jordan. He oversees the property managers that we work with on a day-to-day basis, but he also carries out many of the, the portfolio reviews for existing clients. So welcome to the podcast, Jordan. Thanks, Jared. All right, so Jordan and I and, and Brent and Potter, as well as other team members, for a long time now, obviously, um, are regularly discussing the apartment market. And it's a, it's a, a, long, a strong uh, topic that we discuss amongst ourselves, but also with clients on a, uh, on a fairly regular basis. We've always wanting to assist where we can, um, look at how the apartment market has been performing, perhaps why it hasn't performed as well in recent times as um, we may have liked it to, and what are some of the things that perhaps we can do as um, as advisors, but also suggest to those that do own apartments to do to the properties to improve performance from both a rental, but also from a growth perspective. So there's quite a bit to talk about. So uh, what Jordan and I have decided to do is break it into three parts. So this will be a three-part podcast, um, looking at firstly, the state of the market. Then the next podcast will cover off on um, overcapitalized versus undercapitalized uh, property. And then how and where you can add value to an apartment um, and what what are the best ways to do that. So as I said before, the apartment market in recent times certainly probably hasn't performed or had the growth that the housing sector has had, particularly over the probably the past seven to eight years. Now, for those of you that are familiar with the podcast, usually I um, like to go through all the content and then at the end um, discuss a, a story or a case study. But In order to set up the framework today, I'm going to hand over to Jordan and he's going to go over a a couple of case studies just looking at the apartment market versus the housing market over an extended period of time and how that relates and then we'll we'll discuss going forward the the performance of the apartment market and and expectations going forward as well. So Jordan, do you want to give us a a bit of a rundown here? Sure. Um, I thought it best to approach this by looking at the, probably the historical, not only performance of the apartment market, but how has the apartment market in Melbourne developed, particularly over the last 20 to 25 years? And I suppose we look at key, certain key periods in the development um, of Melbourne's inner city, inner suburbs, and we probably can go back to, say, 1990s, which is when post-recession uh, there was a concerted effort on the government to revitalise the CBD through postcode 3000, and that kicked off significant apartment residential apartment development centred around particularly the CBD, but also what was then a fairly new um, suburb, if you like, in um, Southbank. Um, so that's the, the typical high-rises that we're all pretty familiar with now as we cut through the city. Um, that continued on pretty much right throughout the 90s, 2000, 2000 um, to 2010, then Docklands 
came on board as a, as a totally new suburb and again most of us are familiar with the um, continuing development of that precinct of Melbourne. Um, to that point, apartment development was concentrated in those core CBD and city fringe suburbs like, as I said, Docklands and Southbank. From 2010 though, we started to see the um, the creep of the apartment development, the high density particularly is what I'm referring to. Started to move into those inner city suburbs then, didn't it? Yeah, the traditional inner city suburbs, so South Yarra, Hawthorne, for instance. Um, a lot of us will be familiar with those high rises behind South Yarra Station, between there and the river around Melbourne High, which has added a considerable amount of property um, to that sector of Melbourne. We had a, uh, a former colleague who took some pretty impressive photos from uh, comparing yeah. a, a high-rise apartment that he'd looked at for an owner-occupier client on St Kilda Road, um, and he looked at that apartment coincidentally back in and around 2010, took a photo of South Yarra yeah. looking back to the east and then went and looked at, coincidentally, that same apartment 10 years later and took the same photo. And the difference of the South Yarra skyline um, over that period is is amazing. It was like a mini CBD. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was extraordinary, wasn't it? Um, so then from 2010 to now, we probably see a, a, different, um, a different emphasis and that is um, a further creeping out of the high-density apartment development into areas that were probably unthinkable yeah. 10 to 20 years ago. So middle ring suburbs like Box Hill, for instance, there's high rises in Box Hill, who would have thought that 20 years ago? Mm. Um, we just didn't perceive the demand to be there um, for the very reason that people wanted that part of the world for the... Um, Larger blocks of land yeah. and family home yeah. type scenarios. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's been interesting, but it's also created certain pr um, definitely price pressures, particularly over the last seven to eight years on those suburbs, uh, oh, sorry, on the developments, the more traditional developments from the 30s through to the 70s that were located in those those core inner suburbs. So, yeah. That's so let's have a look at this case study that you've put together yeah. um, on some apartments that and a house, uh, sorry, not some, a, a, an apartment mm. um, in South Yarra in uh, a street that we've bought in many times over the years, Rockley Road, versus uh, a house that... Um, is in Princess Street in Flemington um, that, again, has sold a number of occasions over the last 20 years. So it, it really, I found it really interesting in terms of how it painted the picture of growth over that period of time and when they started to diverge from one another. Yeah, because anecdotally, I always had the... I was under the impression and the view that um, from the early 2000s, when we were advising clients with a certain budget, there was a toss-up between, well, do we buy a really, really good quality apartment big apartments, say, in Rockley Road, South Yarra, or in a, an emerging um, housing market like Flemington or Kensington or Brunswick. And they were just about on par. The decision was one way or the other. There might have been an unrenovated house, but you get the land, or a renovated or large apartment with certain um, attributes and features that were quite um, rare in the market, um, but you don't get the land, but in a higher land value area. So it was a bit of a toss-up. Um, so I, I went back and had a look at it and there's a particular block that we all like in Rockley Road. It's, it's probably one of the best best blocks um, in that street and compared that, as Jared says, to a, a house that sold at around about the same time in 2001. This apartment, um, two bedrooms, one and a half bathrooms, um, dining area, lounge, um, sold for 337 in April 2001, six weeks before that. Um, a house, 
uh, three bedrooms, had an upstairs extension on it, um, sold for $340,000 and that was March 2001, so just about on parity. Um, that house in Flemington sold subsequently in 2015 for 881500 and around about the same time, in June 2015, that apartment sold for 830000 So a little bit of a growth gap, but not significant, particularly when you consider the holding costs and the extra maintenance costs that um, are always expected with a house. Um, and and the extra expenses, um, land tax, all the rest of it has to be factored in. So pretty much on a par. And that was the experience up to about 2015. Um, really good quality two-bedroom apartments versus entry-level houses, um, not a lot of difference. So over the last seven to eight years, we've seen things diverge and in some cases quite significantly. That apartment in Rockley Road sold in 2020 just on the... Um, Eve on of COVID. COVID. Eve yeah. of COVID, yeah, it was around March. It was. That sold for $905,000. So its previous sale five years, as I said, five years previously was eight thirty. So it's put on ostensibly, what, $75,000. Um, there was some money put into this property to convert the one and a half into a genuine two bedroom. I think it was a very, very good um, renovation, but it certainly would have cost. So that has to be factored in. The... Um, the Flemington house hasn't um, undertaken any significant renovations. Now, there hasn't been a sale since um, on that Princess Street Flemington since the 2015, but looking at comparable sales, we would estimate um, that it should be in that current condition uh, around about 1.2, perhaps 1.25. Um, and the apartment, given that there's been a yeah. couple of bigger sales in, in Rockley, Kensington Road in, in the last few years, it's been as high as 1.1. This one's probably not quite at that level, but it's probably close to circle around a million dollars. So we're looking now at sort of 200, 250 in terms of the gap yeah. between the two. And yeah. it's starting to grow, which which is reasonably um, significant. It's 20, 25% gap. Um, now, that is one of the best apartments in Rockley Road. This particular house is a good house, um, but it has its certain compromises in terms of its location within what is a, a reasonable street. So uh, we've probably doesn't um, it probably isn't at the same sort of value as others in that part of the world but um, there's still a noticeable growth gap so um, that sort of backs up the, what, what our anecdotal um, experience was mm. in terms of Okay, so let's have a look then at why this might have been the case. Mm. So we've we've got um, evidence to see that it sort of it starts to show that around the sort of 2015 mark seems to be when the apartment market started to slow up and not having the growth. Um, and when we, and again, I just need to emphasise when we talk about apartments from our perspective, we're talking about the older style established. And if we're looking at things off the plan, um, you'd be, you'd be extremely happy if you've bought something off the plan during any window over the last 10 to 12 years if it's actually retained its value. Majority of them off the plan, in the, particularly in the entry level one and two bedrooms, um, reducing value over that period of time. Yeah. So we're, we're still focusing on um, the older style boutique blocks, um, 20 or less apartments, no lift, pool, gym, that type of thing, um, typically built between, say, 1930s Art Deco era through to about the 1960s, 70s. That's the, that's the, the type of property. So coming back to that, um, so what's... well. Part of that, obviously, and we've got some um, some graphic evidence which we'll include within the blog, so you can have a look at that there, uh, around the amount of construction of apartments that, I mean, it, it started, as you said earlier, Jordan, in the 1990s, but it really started to um, 
take off through the, the sort of around the 2014, 15, 16 type time frame, there was quite a bit of construction that really started to occur in those inner city areas as opposed to the, the high-rise type developments because prior to that, there'd been a real distinction between high-rise apartments, CBD, Dockland, South Bank mm-hmm. versus um, boutique smaller blocks um, in, the, in the inner city areas um, or inner city suburbs, I should say. So there's some uh, some pretty pretty stark graphs. Now the interesting thing there is that um, in the last two to three years, and some would say that it's part partly to do with COVID, but there was certainly starting to be a decline prior to COVID kicking in in the amount of construction um, of modern apartments being built in and around Melbourne as a whole. Um, so the, that that started to, to hold back. Um, what have we seen in the um, in the rental market from a um, from that point of view, obviously, again, during COVID with the lack of migration and, and uh, students, that type of thing coming in, there was certainly the vacancy rates really pushed out. But that seems to have changed in the last last few months. It has. Um, the property managers that we work closely with uh, are the same mind in that the vacancy rates are certainly pulled right back. Now, that could be cyclical. Uh, the first quarter of the year tends to be the best time for an owner of a property to be finding a tenant. Um so we'll see if that continues throughout the rest of the year. It is cyclical, I guess, but we weren't saying that this time last no, year. No, exactly. Um, no, when we you would have expected that that would have would have started to occur, yeah. and and in, at the start of last year that that still wasn't happening. Mm. So you'd like to, and particularly given that um, international borders and things are starting to open up, we are seeing more people come to visit. Um, there's far more flexibility there. That it is it is heading in the right direction. Yeah, and a lot of that in a city, if you like, rather than in a suburban stock, is starting to be mopped up, quietly mopped up. Um, by um, those that are coming back into the country, be they students, be they people on working visas, um, that's that's quietly had a, a pretty profound impact on vacancy rates. Um, there's signs that rents are certainly stabilising, if not increasing in certain sectors in the apartment market, which is very welcomed after a significant drop um, over COVID, anywhere between 10 to 20% um, off uh, baseline levels for these apartments, so that's that's very much welcomed. Um, what have we found in the past in terms of when when the rental market does start to recover in the apartment sector? How does that flow on to capital values, that yeah, sort of thing? Traditionally, what that has done is brought um, brought the attention of investors. Mm. Um, they can see that, understandably, investors have been gun shy over the last few years. First of all, after the um, effects brought about by the Banking Royal Commission turned the screws a little bit on investor lending um, and understandably investors were on the sidelines over the last couple of years if they weren't confident, particularly over COVID, that there would actually be a rental market for their for their new purchase. Um, so it was being driven by owner-occupiers, particularly first-home um, first buyers, that sector of the market. So we would, we would expect to see vacancy rates pull back, rents start to increase and confidence starts to um, increase with the investor market. Um, I think also people, well there's a school of thought to say that actually apartments are are fairly undervalued. Mm. When you look at this historically, well it's probably the the greatest gap between the median value of an apartment um, compared to what the median value of a house is. There was some figures released earlier in the year based on December 2021 and we were looking at about an 86% gap between the median values of the two those two types of property 
compare that to 20 years previously, in 2001, it was only 17%. Mm. So there's a massive gap between the two. Now, um, that says, well, I could say one of two things. First of all, houses are extremely overvalued mm -hmm. um, and are due for a fall. Or, um, historically speaking, apartments are very much undervalued yeah. and there should be a push on price. And coming back to the, the investor side of things, which you, you mentioned just then as well, I mean, the other thing to factor in too there is around that time when we did start to see that apartment performance start to slow around the 2015 mark. Not long after that, we, uh, we had the Royal Commission and things kick in on, uh, on lending. And so it came quite difficult during that period for investors to be able to borrow funds. Yeah. So that also probably pulled them back and, and had them withdraw from the market to a certain extent as well. Mm. Um, and there's been some talk of that being um, eased a little bit, um, whether that, that does occur. there was That was meant to happen, I think, last year, but there was some changes there. So still being worked through. Um, but obviously, interest rates are at record lows. Now, the talk at the moment is that the next movement is likely to be up. It'll be later this year, uh, maybe next year, depending upon what continues to happen with inflation. Um, but even if it does start to move, they're still extremely low. So if investors can start to have the confidence in that rental market uh, and that, that there is uh, demand for that type of property, um, and once I think the other thing that, that is occurring at the moment, and obviously the pandemic was certainly not predicted or expected, but there's still a, um, I guess, um, occupants of, of those that were prepared and, and enjoyed living in apartments there's still a hesitation around the fact that there's a concern that, well, what happens if I get locked up for 23 hours a day in an apartment again? Um, and I think until we see a, an extended period of perhaps as much as 12 months or more where lockdowns are no longer the case, once we see that, I think that'll give buy, uh, occupants, sorry, tenants and, and buyers uh, of apartments far more confidence that I can go back to living the way that I was and, and enjoying that um, cosmopolitan lifestyle that Melbourne's so, so famous for. Um, and that will bring people back to do that sort of thing and have more confidence in the market, apartment market, both from a, a rental but also from a, a, a purchasing perspective. Mm. Yep. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, there, is there, was there anything else that you wanted to um, to address? Yeah, there Jordan? was. One last thing that we've been noticing over the last 18 months or so, again, a little bit unexpected, is um, a, no, I wouldn't say a trend at this point, but we're, we're seeing that what's now emerging is developers – actually mm. purchasing in premium suburbs of Melbourne. So those like Turak, South Yarra, so where the land value is at its highest, it's very interesting that they're now being able to do their numbers and um, the purchase of whole blocks now. The land value is really starting to push. Yeah. Um, and it's really – it's – it's not just, I mean, it's obviously, as you said, it starts in the, the absolute prestige suburb. So it starts where the land value yeah, is hard. Lands are hard to come by. So it's you can't get access to it easily, um, but is also um, a, a prestigious area. And from a developer's point of view, it's they can construct a, a fairly prestigious product on mm. the other end and the demand will be there for it. Yeah, which is which is interesting because even just a few years ago, you would, you would think that that would not, make any economic sense for a developer. Yeah. Um, we've seen one particular block, one of actually 24, um, 24 apartments in a... Yeah, so it's not a small block. Not a small block. Which is tend to be always the perception, oh, no one will ever want to buy 25 apartments, 24 apartments, they'll only ever want to buy four or six. Yeah. Yeah, you'd expect that that trend would emerge or start in 
the perhaps the older style were very much older style Art Deco, which tended to be built back in the 30s and 40s, small four to six units, but on big blocks of land. Yeah, that's right. Undercapitalised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, in this particular street in um, the Botanic Gardens precinct of Melbourne, I'm very surprised to see about six months a year ago. Um, this block of 24 1970s apartments, three levels of eight, mm. um, was actually sold um, to a developer who presumably has in mind. Um, yeah, so it's, it's not like saying the land value. ten years ago where a block might be sold like that, and it was typically being sold to stick in a self-managed super fund and mm. just continue to let the land appreciate or accumulate values. But really, now this mindset is okay. I'm going to buy that as a whole but I'm actually going to now start to do something to maximise yeah. the land value of yeah. that product and then whether or not there's an opportunity uh, because of an existing use right to um, to construct something else on the site and, and use that. Well, obviously that's what developers work through with planning departments and things. Yeah, and what's being replaced is not more of the same. No. It's, as you said, it's it's much lower density. Yeah. Um, the developers can buy the land for a certain amount and develop a product that appeals to... Um, it's that owner-occupied penthouse type. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. it might be only three storeys, basement car park, um, lift access, but really premium type product. It's absolutely pitched at an owner-occupier and predominantly downsizes or town base, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. and so that's taking 24 apartments off the market and replacing it with a totally different product of maybe four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this isn't widespread, but it's... There's, there's, it's starting. It's starting. Yeah. We've seen enough of this over the last year to two years. I reckon we've probably come close to seeing half a dozen in different in different forms, in different locations, on different size blocks, um, but it's not what it was. You, we used to see that still at a similar rate, but it was always for someone to just land bank basically yeah. and hold as a long-term investment and it would grow well. Mm. Um, but the intent now is is more to redevelop these sites rather than just hold them. Yeah, mm. yeah. So that could be... That's another interesting way that um, owners of these apartments that perhaps haven't seen the capital growth that would yeah. have been expected, particularly if they bought 10 years ago, mm. the capital growth that they have achieved was probably in that first two or three years of ownership and then it's, for, in a lot of cases, flatlined. But the land value has continued to appreciate and it's only when a developer comes knocking on the door of the owners that it can be realised. And, we, and we're seeing too with these values that the sum of the parts is not, if you look at them on an individual basis... Yeah. Um, and you were to sell it individually, the price that's being paid for this as a whole is much higher than what the individual apartment would be worth. It is, which makes sense too, mm. because to shoehorn somebody out of their property, particularly if they're an owner-occupier, you need to give them a compelling Convince reason them. to do so. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. And we've seen some significant premiums um, paid to the individual owners yep. over and above what they could have expected had they gone to the local estate agent and sold in the usual manner. By themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So that's something to keep an eye on over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that's great. Thank you very much, Jordan. Um, as I said, we will be uh, putting out two further uh, podcasts in this series uh, regarding the apartment market. So uh, keep an eye out for those. But uh, as, you, as per usual, thanks for joining us for episode 25 of the uh, Rewarding Dis Property Decisions podcast. As always, please share the podcast widely and give us some, some high ratings on, on Apple and uh, whatever uh, platform you are listening to us on. Uh, and if you'd like further information on how to make rewarding property decisions, please visit our website, wakeland.com.au, and we wish you all the best with your property decisions. Thank you.